Thanks for checking out this Church in the City podcast. For more information, please visit www.churchinthecity.us. Good morning. Oh, I'm on. I'll be sharing out of Isaiah 53 this morning. So you may want to turn there. I'm going to use the chapter a lot. I'm going to preach out of the chapter of Isaiah 53. Some of the verses will be up on the slides, but it'd be good for you to also have it handy in your phone or your Bible. Um, so I felt to share one of my favorite verses this morning with you, just starting off, is Romans 1.16. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. I love that verse, and I'm teaching out of the context of the Isaiah series. For those of you who have heard the last couple weeks, we're doing a series on things God has spoken over us as a church, and mainly into us as the hearts of the leaders of the church for what we're specifically called to, who we are at CITC, what God has called us to and spoken over us prophetically. So I'm not teaching out of a specific prophetic word, but more just something God's put in our hearts and spoken over us as leaders that we're called to be unashamed of the gospel, to preach Jesus unashamedly, his death, his resurrection, the finished work of the cross, You may say that's not very groundbreaking and a no-brainer and churches are called to do that, so okay. But uh, there actually are churches and sometimes it is easy for churches to go off track of that. Uh, My grandfather was in a church, a Lutheran church. Growing up, I was in a small town, religious community with a lot of churches, but not any that uh, actually believed the resurrection of the dead. And so my grandfather was a part of this church, this Lutheran church all his life, got saved, radically saved at 40 and was on fire for Jesus, like passionate. You thought he was a little crazy. Um, And he got up one Sunday. He couldn't take it anymore. He told the pastor to sit down, that he had something to say. (laughs) And he proceeded to passionately share the gospel, shaking head to toe. He just needed people to know what Jesus had done for them so that they could be saved and set free from religion. But it's not just religious churches. Um, It's easy for any churches to get off track and get focused on other things and not the main thing, which is Jesus and our message, which is the gospel. Um, We're not holding out community as a hope for the world. Community is an amazing thing. We need it. We grow. But it's not going to save anybody. And we can't hold that out as come and be a part of our great community. You'll be supported and encouraged. You'll have friendship, maybe meet a spouse, Those things can't save anyone. Um, We're not holding out how cutting edge and trendy and we have the latest and greatest and how great we are at doing church. It's good that we have those things. It's good. I love that we have people who can do an amazing website and, and we have an amazing logo. I'm so thankful we have people who do that so well. But that's not going to save anybody either. And we're not... Um, even doing good in the community. We can't hold that out as something that can save someone, even though we know we're called to make a difference and do good in our community. Our hope for the people to be saved and the hope for the world is not found in community, not found in being cutting-edge church. It's not found in gifted leaders. Rather be not gifted and just have a simple message of Jesus. It's not found in doing good work in our community. It's found in Jesus. God has spoken that over us. We're unashamed of the gospel, unashamed of Jesus and what he's done for us. And that's our message to the world, the gospel of Jesus. I'm going to share the gospel today because 
um, I was given Isaiah 53 to preach on. So uh, as I was preparing, I just felt that in order to share the gospel and bring it passionately to the world, we need revelation of what Jesus did in our hearts. We need revelation, each of us, of how great our salvation is. And um, when Ken Grenfell was here, he actually said something to that effect, and it stuck with me, just how you can never have enough revelation of how great our salvation is and the implications for us who believe. So I'm going to start in Isaiah 53, verse... Let's start in the first verse, just talking about Jesus' humble beginnings. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no majesty or beauty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Jesus grew up before him. Jesus grew up before God, not in the sight of men, not in the eye of the public as one would expect a king. He was a root out of dry ground. It was thought that he would come from a noble and great family because he came from the line of David but he came from a poor family. His father was a simple carpenter, and he came from a family where nothing great was ever expected to be able to come from. That's what's meant by a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty. Jesus wasn't physically attractive, charming, charismatic, like how people vote for a president in the U.S., someone who's charming, charismatic, look at their family name, wealth, background. Jesus was none of these things. Verse 3, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, like one whom men hide their faces from. He was despised. We esteemed him not. Jesus was rejected. He was rejected as a man, but he was also rejected as a ruler by the people that he came to save. Because we look at outward appearance so much. Jesus was rejected. He was not someone anyone would want to reign over them. A man people hid their faces from. A man of sorrows, familiar with suffering. Jesus didn't live a life of fun and enjoyment with all the pleasures of life. Excuse me. Nope, they're empty. He didn't live a life of fun and enjoyment um, as you would think a king with lots of laughter and joy. It says that he was from acquainted with sorrow and familiar with grief, not just in the end of his life and in his death, but all throughout his life. He knew grief and sorrow and suffering, possibly because he knew his fate, but also because he carried, he, he felt and empathized with the grief of others and those around him. He was willing to take on the pain and the brokenness and feel for other people and empathize with the brokenness around him. And that challenges me a lot because... Sometimes we don't want to be bothered, you know, with brokenness around us. But Jesus allowed himself to take on the grief and be acquainted with the pain of people around him. Verses 4 and 5. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon upon him. Jesus suffered greatly in his death. He was shown no mercy. Uh, There was the more merciful way to die on the cross and to be crucified, but Jesus was shown none. He had the most severe punishment, so that every part of him was bruised and beaten, and he was unrecognizable. He underwent the most severe punishment. How? 
Why? How can it be justified that such an innocent man who was guilty of every charge against him could suffer so much? Um, and I wondered that as I was preparing. And then it's because he carried the weight of the sin of the world on him. So they thought him hated by God. They thought that they hated him and God also hated him. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. Yet it was for us that he was punished, for our sins that he died. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Jesus took our place. Because of Jesus, we have peace. Not a fleeting peace based on our circumstances, a deep peace because our sins are forgiven and because we've made right with God. Where there was enmity between us and God, our Father, because of sin, we've made peace. And now there's relationship and Jesus, God accepts us on the basis of Jesus. It's a peace that comes from knowing that our sins are forgiven and our future is secure. Our future is not death. Our future is life forever with Jesus. When we sing that hymn, It Is Well With My Soul, I love that hymn. And it's not talking about it's well with my soul, all the things that happen around me. I'm okay with everything that happens around me. It is saying it's well with my soul. My soul has made peace with God. My sins are forgiven. I'm, I'm living forever. My future is secure. I know my future. My soul is secure. Verse 6 talks about our sin. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned his own way. It's just human nature to go our own way, just to wander away from God. Adam and Eve had everything perfect in the Garden of Eden, perfect, and yet they still wanted to go their own way, do their own thing. It's in our nature, and it's an affront to God because he loves us and he made us for a relationship with him. Yet the Lord laid upon Jesus the iniquity of us. Verse 7 and 8. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the sin of my people, he was stricken. Sorry. On verse 10. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hands. Even though he was a guilt offering for us, Jesus will see his offspring. His offspring are the spiritual descendants, the many people who have been and will be saved because of what Jesus did, the multitudes those that outnumber the stars in the sky that will belong to Jesus because of what he did. Those who come to Jesus are given a spiritual inheritance and the blessing of being sons and daughters of the king. Verse 11, After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many. Jesus considered all the pain and the suffering that he endured on the cross worth it because he could see the many who would be justified by what he did. And by being justified, they would make right with God. He could see the many who would make right with God because of his suffering and his sacrifice. 
and it satisfied him. He was satisfied. And Jesus rose from the dead, finished the work, defeated death, the curse of our sin. For all his suffering and obedience to God, he's greatly rewarded. Verse 12, Therefore I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Jesus is rewarded as a great king. He is highly exalted, set in a high place as a great king. He's given the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord and all things are placed under his feet. He lives forever. He reigns forever as king, as the head of us, as the head of our church, as the head of all church. And in the increase of his government, of his reign and rule, there will be no end. As long as, until Jesus returns again, there will be a church on the earth, and the church will be advancing and increasing the reign and rule of Jesus until Jesus comes again through sharing this message, through sharing the gospel, and through many coming to be saved. A great victory was won by Jesus. When it says he will divide the spoils with the strong, there was a great victory. Jesus conquered death. He conquered hell. He conquered sin. He conquered the flesh. He conquered the powers and principalities of darkness when he died and rose again. And all those things, we're also conquerors. We share in that victory. We are also more than conquerors through Jesus. We share in victory. We share in victory over death. It means we'll live forever. We'll die on this earth, but then we'll live forever. We share in that victory over sin. We're no longer bound by sin. Yes, we sin, but we can go right away and make right with God again and get forgiveness right away and don't have to carry the weight of the guilt and the shame that comes with sin, that causes that sickness of sin. We can be free of that, even though we still sin. So we have victory over sin. Victory over the flesh. We're not governed by our flesh and ruled by our desires, even though we still give in to them, but we're not governed by them the same. And um, after, we, after we do die, we'll be given a new body. Then we'll really see the victory over the flesh when we're given a new body, an immortal body that can't die, that feels no pain, that doesn't suffer, that's not dying, not subject to death. So victory over the flesh And we share in the spoils of Jesus' great conquest. He divides those with us. Those are ours also. He shares them with us. Even though he died for us, he still then shares the spoils of his conquest. And part of the spoils are also the multitudes who will be saved, the many who will come to give their lives to Jesus, to reign and rule over their life and not govern their own life anymore, the many who will accept Jesus and be saved. We also share in that. That's part of the spoils of the victory. That so many would reject the gospel, that so many would reject this amazing display of love and grace and mercy should unsettle us. It should cause us to be unsettled that so many choose to carry the weight of their own sin and guilt and shame when it's all been paid for. I wrote some implications of the gospel for us. 
Not a lot, I'm sure there's many more, but just the ones that stood out to me and were highlighted to me. But one, we're accepted. We are loved and accepted by our Heavenly Father. We're accepted as sons and daughters of the King and loved because of Jesus. Our flaws and all, we're loved and accepted. We don't have to work and work and work to earn the favor of God and the love of God anymore. Sometimes I get confused because studying Jesus causes people to get sort of heavy. And yes, there is some very weighty things, but about themselves, feeling like, how do I deserve this? I need to be like Jesus. This is a very, I can't live up. And it's the opposite of how we should feel. We should have the opposite reaction, which is the spacious place of knowing that we're loved and accepted. And yes, God will transform us by his Holy Spirit, this transforming work of his Holy Spirit in our lives, but it's through time and over a lifetime of walking with Jesus. And it's gradually, not from us striving in our flesh to be like Jesus or go on these journeys of self-improvement or being perfect. That's not the reaction that we should have to the gospel. Because of Jesus' sacrifice, we live in grace and freedom. Jesus took our place. Our sins are not counted against us anymore, and we live in the favor of God. We live in the favor of God. The world needs to see a church of followers of Jesus who understand and have revelation of grace real revelation of grace that comes along with it a humility of what Jesus did, but knowing that we're free, living in victory, that's one. Knowing that Jesus paid it all. Romans 8.33, who can bring any charge against God's chosen ones? God makes us right with himself. We are free from condemnation and the lies and attack of the enemy. Thirdly, the victory is won, and death and sin have been defeated, and resurrection power is available to us. And most of you know Ephesians 1, 18 and 19, where it talks about where Paul's prayer for the saints of our eyes of our hearts being enlightened and open to the hope that we're called. But in verse 19, he also is praying they have revelation of his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ Jesus when he raised him from the dead. The power to raise the dead is available to us through Jesus Christ. The power to raise the dead, to transform a life from dead to alive through the sharing of the gospel and through a person believing it. That power is available to us. And when someone gets saved and accepts Jesus, the captives are set free. There's healing from sickness, of disease, of of sin and death, and, and just the hold on someone's life of sin when we share the message of Jesus to others. The gospel has the power to transform a life. We have a message to share with the world. It seems overwhelming and daunting task. At times it seems very overwhelming and daunting. But the Lord has just reminded me this week recently that we don't do it alone. We do it not only with the Holy Spirit, do we take this message to the world, but we do it together. We have each other, and we do it arm in arm, and united in our call, united in our purpose, united in our commission. We're not doing it alone, individuals going off trying to save the world. We do it together. Together we cry out for a city and our nation, for Jesus to be revealed, for people to see Jesus, Together we intercede 
Together we worship, lifting up one voice, exalting Jesus over everything, over the city, over darkness. And doing the will. Together we go. We go together as well. Go and share the good news as God calls us. Doing the will of the Father everywhere we go. That many will be brought to Jesus. How much time do I have? Keep going. Okay, well, I'll share... Uh, uh, there's a, a book, Dr. Dr. Seuss's uh, Horton Hears a Who. Do you guys know that book? Has everybody? Raise your hand so I can see if... Okay, well, some of you might not have, have heard it. Most of you have. But it's a kid's book, and it's really awesome little kid's story. Um, I think it's got more of a political spin on it about every person having a voice. But, you know, I took... I, it's really cute. I like it. You're laughing at me. Um... Anyway, so there's this tiny little city of who's. I'll give you the gist of the story. And you can't see these little who's with your eye. You can't see them at all. And they're on a little clo- a dust on a clover. Um, a clover must, I don't know, like a little flower or something. And Horton, of course, is an elephant. And because elephants have these big, enormous ears, they can hear so well. So he can hear the who's on this little dust, on this clover. He can hear them, so he knows they're there. He's the only one. And then there's the evil Wickersham gang the brothers and uncles and cousins and aunts and in-laws, the Wickersham, <laughs> Seuss's crazy characters, and they're these little monkeys. And they're try- they think Horton's crazy, and they're going to try to throw the clover in a pot of boiling nut stew and wipe out this town of little who's. So anyway, <laughs> you're following. So, <laughs> so anyway, there's these little people that you can't see. And um, so... The mayor of this little town gets all the people together saying, we've got to be heard. We need to cry out as one. We need to get together and be heard so that we can be saved. So they're all coming into town square and they're crying out together so that these Wickersham gang can hear them. And um, still not being heard. So the mayor's convinced that there's a shirker. He's like, there's a shirker. Someone is not crying out. There's one person. (laughs) So he goes through the whole town and tries to find one little shirker And sure enough, he finds a little boy playing with his yo-yo in his house, and he's not crying out. He's just hanging out. Which I love that it's a child, because children, it's just that idea that kids make such a difference, too. But he, so he did um, get the little boy to come and stop shirking and cry out with them all together. And then, sure enough, they were heard. And they were saved from the pot of boiling nut stew and the Wickersham gang. And they were saved. So anyway, the idea that I took from it, though, was that we can't have any shirkers. That's what I took from it. I'm like, you know, can't draw a lot of other parallels, but we we can. (laughs) But I like the idea. (laughs) I thought you liked the story. So the shirkers, we can't have any shirkers. We need everybody crying out together, everybody united, everybody knowing, all of us, each of us. And that's because Jesus wants that. Jesus wants that. It's not for us. It's just that's... Jesus calls us to that. We can easily become complacent about the truth of the gospel. What we just read out of Isaiah 53, we can easily become complacent about what Jesus did. And it can become textbook to us or history for us, just a museum piece of our faith, um, or just, yeah, old hat kind of, because we've all been in church and we know it. But the message of the gospel has the power to save and transform a life from dead to alive. We need to hold on to the revelation we have of Jesus, of our freedom, 
of what was won for us, of the victory that we have, and of our future being secure. We need to hold on to that. It happens to us all. There's not shame in it. I mean, we, life gets the better of all of us. Life gets the better of me. The last few weeks, it really got the better of me with the winter and the snow and being cooped up with the kids. Cabin fever. For you, I don't know what it is. It's just the monotony of the day. Um, it can get the better of you. I get consumed with some things with my kids. You know, we can get consumed with finances. We can get consumed with real stuff, real stuff, um, stuff that's hard, you know. And um, for me, it's hard to think sometimes because Joel's waking up in the morning, my two-year-old, asking me if I want to fight instantly. And then all day, he just wants to fight, like sword fight and hit and, you know, beat up. And he's whacking me with a sword all day long. And I'm just like, <laughs> I'm trying to cook and he's whacking my back with the lightsaber and like all these things. And I'm just like, how can I think, Lord? How can I have any revelation? <laughs> so, <laughs> and that's, you know, just one of the things, but we all have stuff. We all have stuff that consumes us and makes us lose the revelation of the hope we have, the hope we have, what was won for us, and just revelation of Jesus, his grace, his mercy, his incredible love displayed for us on the cross, and just that we have a message for the world. I'm going to ask Vanessa to pray for us for two things. One, for a revelation, a fresh revelation of the gospel, that it would impact us in the depths of our heart. And secondly, that we would be and do exactly what Romans chapter 1 says, that we wouldn't be ashamed of sharing the gospel with others. Ness, can you do that for us? Yeah, Father, I just pray this morning, God, just for a release of fresh revelation this morning for, of you, Jesus. Or just those of us who need to see you again, Lord. We just need to see you, exalted and victorious King, as mighty Lord. Just for us to see what you won, the victory won on, on the cross, Lord. And all that you paid and sacrificed, God. For us to see your great love for us, Lord. Your acceptance, God. That we live in a spacious place, Father, of not having to earn your love and your favor. Father, just for revelation of grace this morning, God. For us to be a people who lives in grace, knowing our sins are not counted against us anymore, knowing we don't need to walk in guilt and shame, knowing that we walk in freedom. Father, I just pray and trust for that this morning afresh, God, for each of us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thanks, Vanessa. That was outstanding. Really, really. Let's just thank Vanessa again, if we can. Great job. Well done. Well done. In Acts chapter 16, um, the story is told of uh, Paul and Silas who are in jail. And um, long story short, but there's a move of God. They are worshiping Jesus and there's a move of God. And an earthquake comes and breaks off their shekels. And uh, uh, they weren't shirking by any, by any stretch. And, um, and they, they are free to go. But they stay behind because they want to minister to the jailer. And the jailer, who's this crusty, uh, hard-hearted man, um, literally falls before them and he says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? 
And I love Paul's response. It's as simple as this. He says, believe in the Lord Jesus. And perhaps you're here today, and you may have heard the gospel being preached before. Maybe you're familiar with the concept of going to church and doing what you would imagine to be the right things to to get saved. I want to say there's no salvation in religion. There's no salvation in the things that we do. There's no salvation in, in, in us trying to make our lives right or better for God to then be able to receive us. There's salvation simply in this, by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. By taking the faith that we put in our own efforts and saying, there is no, there's, there's no ground, there's no substance in me trusting in myself. Simply by taking that faith and saying, Jesus, I believe in you. And so perhaps you're here today and you've, you've never given your heart to Jesus or perhaps you've been looking for Jesus in the wrong places, looking in places like religious organizations or, or perhaps religious duties. I want to say today, today simply believe in Jesus. I'm going to ask right now, if, if that's you, if you're saying, I want, I want to receive Jesus, I want to ask you right now, where you are seated, just say, Jesus, I believe in you. I put my faith in you. Forgive me for, for believing in my own salvation. Forgive me for looking to, to, the, to the wrong things. Forgive me for, for looking to organizations or religion or my own efforts to find worth or to find relationship with you. Right now, just say, Jesus, as best as I know how, I believe in you. And I ask that you come into my heart to be my Lord and Savior. Father, I want to pray. If anyone just prayed that prayer, if anyone cried out to you this morning in their hearts, Lord, I pray that they would, that decision would be sealed in Jesus' name. That that decision by the Holy Spirit would be sealed in their hearts. That they would know today that they are a child of God. I pray that you minister to them right now where they are seated. Minister your love and your grace to them. Show them, Lord God, that you care for them so incredibly. I pray this in Jesus' name. We're going to close in a couple of minutes, but I just wanted Kathy to come up and share a prophetic word. What we like to do with the church is uh, we always have a, a ministry team available to pray for, for folk afterwards. Um, sometimes God lays a particular word on someone's heart. Um, it's sometimes called a prophetic word or a word of knowledge. Uh, Kathy feels like, and I agree, she shared it with me, I agree, uh, she feels like God has laid something sp- specific on her heart for a few people here, maybe more than one or two. Maybe there are a few people here who need to respond to this. I want to ask that we all just listen up for just, just for two minutes, and then we're going to close. And at the end of the meeting, I'm gonna, uh, there's going to be a ministry team up front. If Kathy's word... Or anything that God has been doing in your heart while Vanessa's been preaching has been stirring in your heart and you would like someone to stand with you in prayer, I invite you to come up and receive ministry from the, from the team. Um, I had two words. The first one, I saw a, a lady, but it doesn't have to be. It could be a guy or a girl. But you, we were talking about freedom and you were lifting your one arm as if like a, you know, a bird is about to take off. So you're lifting your arm, but your other arm was stuck. I don't know if you remember the movie Happy Feet. And one of the penguins had that plastic thing around his neck. And it was like you had a plastic thing that wasn't supposed to be on you, holding your arm, not allowing you to stretch out. And so it wasn't something that you had placed. It wasn't something that you had necessarily done. It was something that was put on you out of circumstance or out of something that had happened and it just was not allowing you to stretch out. Your other arm was stretching and stretching and this arm just couldn't move like the guy in happy feet. He was just walking all weird. And as soon as the plastic came off, he was fine. 
Um, I don't know what that area or what that thing is that's holding you back, but I'm just trusting that God is speaking to you and showing you. And then the second um, thing I saw was um, just a sense of of barrenness and, and, and hopelessness and trying to find where I am, who I am as a person, but scared of what you were going to be, scared of what you were trying, what was going to be that, that who you are. We'd, I, I know that doesn't make sense. We are, we are sons and daughters of the king, but you were scared, what does that mean for me because of your relationship with your own dad? Because there was, might have been an area of abuse, there might have been an area of um, neglect, and, a, and a, a really a deep hurt. So you didn't want to pursue this, who am I in the king? Because that means that that king is going to let me down. That means that this king who says he's my father is going to hurt me in ways that he shouldn't have ever hurt me. And I just really feel that the Holy Spirit just gently wants to minister, just a surety that, yes, you are a, yes, you are a king's kid, but I love you despite anything and everything. And just bring a healing and a freedom. Fear of disappointment. Fear of trusting in case you get let down. I think that's the essence of what Kathy's sharing. So if that's you, if, if, if there's something of your heart was just stirred as those prophetic words were shared, or as, as I say, as Vanessa was preaching, and you're trusting to be, to be more bold as you preach the gospel, trusting for breakthrough. Derek Miller shared a prophetic word during our prayer meeting that he felt like God was wanting to just bring some breakthrough for some folk, feeling like they're up against a wall and they weren't sure where to go. Um, any of these areas, please respond. A wonderful ministry team are going to be available to, to, to stand with you and, and to pray with you. Um, don't rush off. There's coffee and tea at the back. Uh, we were not having prayer this week. Our prayer starts again first Wednesday of uh, February. Um, enjoy the football if you're a football fan. Uh, stay warm and uh, look forward to seeing you guys again next Sunday. Thanks. Amen.